Hey, kids, do you like wrestling? Well, we like wrestling, too. We are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Myself and Chris Novembrino kind of doing a lazy river of wrestling criticism, going through the news and whatever happened in stateside television wrestling. And also, you know what? Sometimes we just like to watch old stuff and talk about that, too. Love for you to give us a listen. If you haven't already, we are Shake Them Ropes here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for November 7th, 2023. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or on our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all podcast platforms and applications. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You click the red box that says sponsor this podcasting setup a one-time a reoccurring donation and we would like to thank all of our previous donors you can follow us on twitter at open voice gate i'm one of your hosts it's your old pal mike spears joined alongside as always case low and it's a big week case we've been kind of circled this week on the calendar for at least the last few months it's gate of destiny recap week but first case how are you doing today i'm well i i'm very well i'm now realizing with the way the calendar works, with the way time passes, I, I don't think we've had a chance, or I don't think I've had a chance to congratulate you about your Texas Rangers. Yes, uh, it, it kind of worked out that way. We recorded last Wednesday. Yeah, uh, on Game 5. On Game 5, during the, I have to say, Case, during the, the time period that almost as soon as we got off of the call, the Rangers immediately went ahead and yep, broke you're up. welcome. And, I did that. I did yeah. that. Uh, did you do that, or did recording the show, if we continued, the Rangers would have lost Game 5? We'll never know, We'll ne- we, and we don't have to know. Well, yeah, we don't have to know. It it was one of those things I was actually thinking about that. Like, that was about a week ago, and it's something very, like, I, I guess since it was really as an adult, like, my first, like, championship while being in the town, and, like, it kind of experiencing it, and it feels like it was almost like a month ago, weirdly enough. But, but it, it's wild. It, it's one of those things now that I, I, I feel like all the Cleveland uh, uh, Guardian fans can now just be like, my God, can you please shut up? Because our pain is a lot worse. And uh, I was tired about hearing about the Rangers. But yeah, it, 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 it's wild. It, and it's one of those things that like now I'm starting to see articles that Otani might come to Texas. And it's putting like like delusions of grandeur in my head. And we can't have that happen. As somebody who's surrounded by a lot of Cubs fans, they are pretty convinced that they are also getting Otani. 
I think right now, if you are a major franchise with an ownership group that's more competent than Steve Cohen, which I know that's like a sliding scale, really, and that might not seem so impressive, but in baseball, it kind of is. I think everyone kind of thinks they're in on Otani. If, you, if you're willing to throw 50 a year, and if you're one of those teams, you have to think you're in, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I have a weird relationship with it because I I grew up a Dodgers fan, and I, for a long time, cared about the Dodgers. But over And it's a weird time to join this club, but over the last few years, just living in Chicago for, for longer and longer, I've decided I'm a White Sox fan at this stage in my life. And while there are, you know, probably 25 teams out there, fan bases that are talking themselves into, oh, you know, we we could get him, we could make him the right offer. The White Sox four months ago were like, we're not, we're not in this race. We're not negotiating. He's not coming here. <laughs> Guys, don't worry about it. J- Jerry, <laughs> bigger problems on his hands. Kenny is no longer in the franchise. We have to get some things figured out first. We're, we, we have looked at two mid-level Kansas City Royals prospects. We will be trading for them. That will turn our team around. Guys, don't worry about Otani. We are not interested. That Base- is the vibe with the White Sox right now. Baseball Prospectus will rank us in the top uh, third of uh, minor league uh, d- d- uh, programs right now. It'll be okay. Our season will be 65 and 87. Yeah, Yohan Moncado will hit 300 next year. The caveat will be he will only play 12 games. He yes. will be great in those 12, but don't get too excited. The free agency clock is pending. I understand this. This used to be kind of like, like the Rangers had like a weird thing that like starting the 90s, they were always kind of end on things. So like I never had like the countdown until a player was going to leave the org. We just knew that they would get either traded away or it'd be a bad contract and we regret it. Yeah, it's I, look, I, I have I have the privilege of suffering because I can either like, I don't have long-term White Sox pain. Rich Krejci has long-term White Sox pain. I don't have that. I just have Chris the last Samsa. few years. Chris. Yeah, Chris Samsa, absolutely, long-term White Sox pain. So I can either latch on to that, or I can either latch on to the Dodgers, where it's like, oh, well, we only won a COVID World Series. We haven't won a real one in a while. It's like, I don't want to... I don't want to do that. You know, I, I think I think at this point, White Sox pain is a little bit more interesting. So that's oh, yeah. the route I've chosen in life. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I feel like I at the very least, isn't King County one like one of the White Sox teams like you, you, you have the ability to also be like, you know what, I'm gonna go to Cal to go follow my team, you know, and, <laughs> and it's not like an insane kind of thing that, that you have with that. Just throwing that out there. No, Maybe. no, you're 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 right. You're onto something there. It, it, you gotta check out the Kane County Cougars. What can I say? So was this Rangers win? Was that your first championship win as an adult that you really cared about? So uh Or do you I, get that do you get that Mavs title too? So I mean like the thing about the Mavs title in twenty eleven, I was I, I, I had the feeling of being in in enemy territory for that one i thought you were gonna say an immigrant and i was so excited to see where that was gonna go <laughs> man man uh, yeah, well, uh, I was, I was, uh you're abroad for me <laughs> i was in south carolina <laughs> I, I i mean there's a lot of comments that can be made about how miami is not an american city like oh, uh, yeah, that's uh, very true like we could we, we could go in that direction but i wasn't going to uh my primary interest in 2011 though was the fact that i could get uh Billy Corbin of the U fame and cocaine Cowboys calling me uh, to quote as exact words, a 
effing deviant because I had money on the Mavericks in a bar in Little Haiti in Miami. (laughs) I I used to be a lot cooler than I am now. So, but no, this one totally is my uh, first adult one. And really, like, the first one of anything that I actually actively followed, you know? Like, I, I, I can't count those Cowboys things. I've never really been an NFL guy, right? My my family are all Ohio State fans, but that was kind of like runoff. And by the time I was a Miami fan, that was way after 2002. So, yeah, like it, it, it was like kind of the thing of after the game, sitting there, trying not to yell that so my dog doesn't wake up and going like, did did this just happen? Like that was a lot of it. And then not turning off the TV because refusing to believe that it actually happened. Yeah, I, I get it. I had that with the Rams two years ago where that was a team I was completely invested in. I, I, I had gone through some journeys with that team uh, in terms of, you know, just no success and then some success and then losing that Patriots Super Bowl and then having them hold on against Cincinnati. I mean, that was something I still think very, very fondly of. That was a very, very good time for me. It, and it's also the weird thing that at least around the Metroplex and – I think that it's just one of those things that like we, we we've alienated the internationals. Now let's now let's alienate the people who don't care about media, right? And that kind of stuff. Uh, the Rangers have had their rights held by Bally's, the former Fox Sports Southwest, and have been such a long term deal, but that have completely eliminated the ability that basically half of the fifth biggest metropolitan area of the country could not watch their local sports team because of Bally's coverage. So it was a weird thing where, and it was not just me. I've like talked to people all around town. Like that's the wild thing about winning a world series. Suddenly everyone's a whole lot friendlier to each other, but, uh, and and no one like was like, yeah, no, I only could watch it in the playoffs because of Bally's and I don't have Bally sports. So that, that, that was a weird thing of, how can a area kind of get like up to speed as fast as possible during a playoffs? Whereas like it, it, it it's one of those things that like I have to imagine, especially up where you are, like the, the neighborhoods around the the uh, stadiums just always are inhabiting around the sport and around the teams that there there's really no option for that in Dallas Fort Worth. It just could not happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I luckily I don't have to deal with Bally anymore. I, uh, they obviously, they don't have NFL, but the White Sox are on NBC Sports Chicago, and then I'm an NBA League Pass subscriber this year. I've had a very good year, Mike. I, I finally have the money for League Pass, <laughs> which is, I, I'm making, I'm making money, uh, I'm making my money's worth. It is such a good time. I am devouring Oklahoma City Thunder games, but I can watch that through YouTube TV as well, and I keep on hearing reports that the local Bally channels uh, I guess rather the the Bally streaming apps have just completely shit the bed on NBA games this year. And there's been a bunch of Pacers games that people have been able to watch. So I am thrilled to not have that problem. Yeah, it's something where like this whole entire thing. So for internationals, just imagine that basically about a third of the professional sports teams, like a third of the, of the Premier League, you cannot watch their games. Like that's what's happening here across the country. I don't think it's tenable. Like they barely made the, they only paid uh, for four of the teams that they had the uh, outstanding rights to, uh, at least baseball-wise. There has to be more of those that will fall through through basketball and hockey. I know that that was the case, at least for the Las Vegas hockey team. Like They reassumed their rights and opened their own streamings. Yeah, 
yeah, it's uh, it's not a pleasant situation. But what was pleasant, Mike? Let's let's pivot to Dragon Gate as we have Gate of Destiny 2023. Do you want me to talk attendance real quick? Well, I had a really really uh good pivot that I was going to use oh, for this. Oh, that that, that oh, one is. Re well, re rewind the tape you got this what's yeah, the pivot yeah, yeah. give it to me give it to me well if we want to like we're talking about streaming services that you know are cobbled together and you know a lot of people get frustrated about what you can't see when you can't see little do we know that dragon gate live the dragon gate network had a hot number this sunday the gate of <laughs> destiny case what, what was pivot. the attendance well, well, well let's talk business leading off because this is one of the big stories coming out of this show yes yeah, so attendance this year 2,408 fans in comparison to the last four years prior. They did 2,208 last year. That was a cheering show, but a restricted crowd. 2021, they did 1,685. 2020, 1,885. And then 2019 in a pre-COVID world, that show with Masato Yoshino and Ben K on top did 3,120 fans. They claimed... A full house for that, not a super no vacancy full house, but a full house nonetheless. So we were looking at 3,120 before the pandemic, 2408 for this show this year. To put it in comparison, the New Japan show, which ran there the day prior, did 4,000 fans. And that was with Hiromu and Taiji Ishimori second from the top and Osprey versus Umino as the main events. Yeah, and uh, talking with people who were at both shows, it, it it is something where it was the very clear, like, asking them, like, okay, how's it feel attendance-wise? It's like, oh, yeah, no, no, Dragon Gate definitely felt like they had basically half the attendance there that New Japan did. And Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it seemed like the, full, the, uh, the floor was full, but it was the upper half of the arena that was not much. Yeah, and it is something where that... With the Triangle Gate match, knowing that that, that that was likely to happen, you, you would think they would pull uh, uh, Don Fuji aside and say, hey, maybe uh, just don't do balcony tonight. Uh, uh, longer on floor. Don't go. Don't try to touch, toss punch Shomanaka off the top of a balcony when no one's God, there. God, he almost killed him. It, 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 the, the thing is, is that when you do things like this, you get what I call a diamond egotist moment case. Well, when you go to a crowd, when you have no reason to go show the crowd being that empty, you you end up looking like Diamond Ecotus at the uh, Sumo Hall, and no one wants that. No, you do not. But uh, obviously not a great number that was referenced in the Madoka Kakuta post-match promo. Do we want to talk about that promo now? Because I have some insight from people that were in the building. This, for whatever reason, this show, I think a quarter of the audience was open the voice gate listeners. We had friend of the show, Thoros was there. He yeah. has some some live comments uh, from being at the show in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. And then we had a number of people that live in Japan that we talk to on a regular basis that were also at this show. I have a ton of live reports from uh, Gate of Destiny. Yeah, let's do live reports up top. Let, let, let's get into it. Yeah, well, uh, in, in regards to the attendance and the post-match Kakuta promo, so Kakuta retains his Dreamgate title 25-35 over Big Boss Shimizu in a match that we'll talk a lot about in just a second. But after the match, he noted that he and Shimizu are now 1-1-1 one, one, and one all-time in singles matches. He invited Shimizu to wrestle him anytime, anywhere in the future. And then he talked about how the building was not as full as they would have liked and how, you know, in the future, Dragon Gate would like to have, obviously, more people at these shows. And as the Open the Dreamgate champion, he takes that personally. And 
as he was cutting this promo, I was watching it live, and I had two different people reach out to me, again, as the promo was happening, and they went, this is an incredible promo, this is a rallying cry, this makes me, uh, I, you know, either want to go to more shows to paraphrase, or bring people that I know to paraphrase, this, uh, by all accounts of people that I've talked to, they made a bad situation good in a very Dragon Gate way by almost addressing the elephant in the room. I heard nothing but praise uh, from people that speak the language for this Madoka Kakuta promo. Yeah, and it's something where I think that we now kind of have a enough runway with, with Kakuta that, like, it's three major shows now. Uh, Kobe World did well, and then it's been a bit of a decline here. Even though th- this is up on last year, we could. I, I think everyone would admit 2,400 was not what they're hoping no, for. No, it, it. it's a bad number year yeah. over year because they barely beat last year, and last year there were restrictions. Exactly. You know, if the, if you hit if you hit 3K on this show, you know now you're talking. Now you're back to 2019 levels. That that I think should have been the barometer here, and they weren't. I mean, they weren't close really. Yeah, and it is something that with at least with Kakuda being able to pull off the rallying cry, it is something where I wonder with this uh, that at least with like native fans going that like there is like the uh, the the generational turns with it and the people who have fallen off and the fans who that might that there might be a group of fans that were uh, all going for a long time and then slowly like. One person might be an Ada fan. They're going to go watch them and know it now. Things like that. But being able to have someone's like, oh, no, you might want to come back and see what Kakuda is doing. Like, that he, he actually might have something there. Like, it, it is kind of a smart kind of thing, I think, we could look at. And something where I think we would have to look in the immediate past for uh, people in this kind of role and having to do this kind of promo that I do not think that they would have succeeded to this level. No, it was, you know, very, uh, he, he seems to have, and this is where I'll get into dangerous territory because I'll assume and articulate about a language that I don't speak, but everything I've ever heard uh, about Kakuta's promos is he has this almost very matter-of-fact way of speaking, and I think the Rewa 6 promo at Dead or Alive was very effective because it was very cut and dry. It was very much, here are these guys, here's what we're doing, here's the story, and, you know, six months later, We've seen, I, I would say, varied success. I think certain guys have elevated their status within the company within the Rewa 6, but Kakuta as Dreamgate champion, as we all know, has been hit and miss. I think this was a massive hit. This was the best thing that he's done all year, uh, other than his title win versus Shun, which I still think is one of the very best matches of 2023. This was a massive win for Kakuta. This made him look like a make of, like a main eventer. This make made him look like a champion, I am fired up for whatever he does at Final Gate now. And, you know, this was a match that I think uh, the context of the match, the build to it, the the uncertain result where it really felt 50-50, maybe 40-60, you know, I was excited about that, but I wasn't excited about Kakuta, the concept of him as a Dreamgate champion any longer. He had just, you know, he had become, uh, uh, had, had stayed a good wrestler, but had become an uninteresting wrestler. And he showed different things in this match that really fired me up and got me ready for whether it's one more successful defense, whether it's no more successful defenses, whether it's five more. I am I am now back in on the idea as Madoka Kakuta as your open the Dreamgate champion, the in ring and the post match promo. I think all of this for him was a big win. 
Yeah, and and I think it's something that's kind of hard not to like take this away from him as like a big win other than the business number just because of just from point A to point B to point C they've shown at least with Madoka Kakuda being the main character of whatever major storyline happening around the Dreamgate that as long as it's not like a random title defense or something that's thrown together and is not had not presented with any build that if you like set up the story, he's going to knock them down. And I feel like that as we were talking about last week in the preview of this match case, it was something that like the six month story in the end ends up benefiting Kakuda first and foremost. He comes out of this now basically defending the honor of his claim. I mean, he's defended basically the Reiwa six and the instant, uh, desire for a rematch where i don't know if that's something that that will happen during this title run like i still am still kind of figuring their way out of how they're going to get their way out of kakuta at this point but yeah this is easily i was four and a half on the match i thought that it was something where they really worked towards the finish in a level where it just had an urgency that was not there with the yoshioka and the uh, menorah defenses and i think a lot of that has to be given to the fact that him and shimizu have had a level of comfort that maybe we weren't necessarily seeing in a decourage versus decourage main event or in a tournament where or a match after a tournament where uh kakuda was kind of just doing heavyweight matches there was really no sense of preview between him and menorah no i mean the 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 great difference here is that they established a dynamic and they did what they should have done, which is they leaned into Shimizu being this hometown favorite and Madoka Kakuta. And I wrote this in my review, my written review at voices of wrestling.com. He was so mean in this match. And I, and I mean that as such a great compliment because I, he had the, the ferocity, the fervor of a pro wrestling Noah in the glory years type wrestler. You know, he was slapping Kakut or he was slapping Shimizu and kicking him in the face in a way that I just, I don't know. I don't feel like I see a lot of that in Japanese wrestling anymore. Like, you know, it, it, it exists through Nakajima and it sometimes exists through Kano and maybe, you know, in your biggest of the big Okada matches, you have that level of physicality, but this was just something different and it gave Kakuta an edge and it gave the crowd something to buy into a quick note on the crowd, because I was talking about this with somebody before we started recording. It is, I often find to be very disingenuous when uh, people talk about how, uh, you know, Oh, the crowd was so loud in the building. It must just not be coming through on the stream. If you watch the English feed, the crowd is much, much quieter than the Japanese feed. And I had to test the two out because I had somebody reach out and say, you know, by the end of this match, Kakuta and Shimizu had the crowd rocking and they were really, really behind Shimizu. And it felt like this great crowd in the building. And it wasn't totally coming through on English, uh, on the English commentary. It comes through on the Japanese feed. If you watch that, but uh, nevertheless, it was just, it was this mean, gritty, gutsy performance from Kakuta, which he couldn't do in the Yoshioka match, given the build and he didn't really embrace in the Menorah match, which I think would have greatly helped that. This is not the Kakuta that led him to the Dreamgate, but this is 
a version of Kakuta that I've been dying for. Just something to sink my teeth into in these big matches. We finally got it here. And it's something where I, I what it kind of felt like in a way was a bit of big brothering, like especially in like the attempts for the shot put slam early on in the match where he was just kind of pie facing him and the the level of meanness of like the hip attack, especially like, like the the one that came in off the uh, the corner, and I was just like, oh god, he's going down to the, the floor. Shimizu is about to get his mind erased, and it was probably uh, one of the meanest uh, hip attacks I've ever seen. And it you did not have that level of meanness, and maybe it is something where we have the six months of buy-in of Shimizu being like, hey. What you're proposing and how this company is is going to go forward under your championship, I categorically disagree with that because I am still here. You can't pass me over. And Kakuta had to defend his words. And after six months of essentially, and Jay brought this up on commentary, this was the first uh, non-Rewa uh, Big Six versus Rewa Big Six match since last year. And having Kakuta have to defend that, I think really provide something that was not available there and it is something where i don't really want it to go back to skywalker because i want to see them kind of entertain this idea of uh kakuda defending kind of his claim to the uh, new leaders and now we can maybe see other people kind of like diamant or luis monte was not mentioned on that list so maybe that can be another angle going into that match as well down the line I think that's very well put. As for the in-ring itself, there's a few spots I want to highlight here. Uh, you know, the I went four and a half stars on this. What what rating did you give it? Oh, that's four and a half as well. Yeah. Okay. I gave Shun and Kakuta from May. I went four and three quarters on that. I thought the grappling in the early portion was just a little bit more focused and a little bit more entertaining. I thought this match started slow, but once it got rocking, there's a few spots here that I really loved. Shimizu goes for one big boss press, he connects, he then sprints across the ring to the other corner, hits a big boss press from basically halfway across the ring, that gets a big two count, I bought into that as a near fall, I thought that was such a great spot, there is a an attempt for a shot put slam, where he goes for it, Kakuta slaps him in the face, he gets out of it, Shimizu goes for it again, Kakuta headbutts him, and breaks the hold, I thought that was terrific, they end up trading lariats at one point, and they go, uh, you know, to both bounce off the ropes and hit clotheslines. But Shimizu redirects. He catches Kakuta, Lamahi Stroll, 1-2, 2.9 kick out. That was excellent as well. And then you finally, at the end, get a discus lariat that puts Shimizu away. 25 minutes, like I said earlier, in what I thought was one of the best matches of uh, Dragon Gate's year. Yeah, and it's something where I think the... I, I enjoy Kakuta working as a heavyweight in that first five, ten minutes of this match, but it's something where I feel like it is something within this promotion that we saw with Kakuta during King of Gate, the matches he was having against Kai and Yoshida and people like that, that it's just very much like like when he slows it down, he slows it down. And just like I, I, I feel like the gear change with the press setup into those hip attacks and when that was going into the the, the stretch and especially the the two presses and the kick out it was the the change that 
really was nice to see them be able to take it out of the 1980s with it basically uh, i i kind of feel like and, and i appreciate kakuda working that style it just felt like that if they kept it that way it was going to be dreadful yeah absolutely no i i thought they were very smart in their approach here and it was you know all in all a successful match let me ask you in regards to shimizu and i have a few names that i can throw at you but just off the top of the head is he again other than dragon kid is he the most accomplished Dragon Gate wrestler now to have never and likely will never win the Dreamgate title? So it's DK and Kong because of just the amount of twin and triangle gate matches that those two guys have had those belts for. But I, I think I think even there, I think Shimizu has had a more prestigious career than Kong has. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that's entirely fair. I mean... They both have had the the big dead or alive cage match, but I think you take uh, Shimizu's three world title matches, and they're so much like a class above anything that Kong has done in that situation. Uh, and I, I and I I've said before, I think other than Doi, I think Shimizu might be the best tag team wrestler this company's ever seen. And I that might that might sound hyperbolic to some, but you just look look at his resume. You know, it, it's it's one of those things that I don't think. I don't think people realize how good it is because he's done it with so many partners. And then you look at all the partners and all the matches he's had. And again, other than Doi with Speed Muscle and Yama Doi, it's like, oh, I, I, th- this is as good as it gets. I, I would have Shim, I would have Susumu on that list as well. But I think yeah. the thing with, with Shimizu also is the fact that in these very different tag teams, like case when i mentioned okay think about uh big big r shimizu and eta as a tag team now think about big r shimizu and benkei two completely different teams two completely different styles and i think that's the kind of the thing where if you want to make the argument that shimizu is the greatest tag team wrestler in dragon system history that's where you make it from because i think he has a a, not even necessarily a variety, but an ability to work in so many different roles that it's just not, it's just not there for other Dragon Gate tag team wrestlers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, look, you know, every team he's been in has had at least one really memorable match, and he's been able to do it, you know, again, it's it's Casey, it's Ata, it's Ben K, it's T-Hawk, you know, he's just, you know, it's, it's Susumu. I thought the Shimizu Susumu team two years ago was you know, just incredible. I wish they would have stuck with that longer, but they, you know, they did it, but that's okay. It was a, a very fun run while it lasted. So you have dragon kid there. You have uh cyber Kong. I, this is, I, I guess I want to ask you this directly. I would rank Shimizu as having a more prestigious career than Don Fuji at this point. But as I talk, I realize Don Fuji has won the dream gate title. Yeah. So never mind. The, the the person that in the weight class kind of comes into play here that I would propose case and think about it. Him versus Akira Tozawa. Hmm. Well, you know, Tozawa has been showing a lot of potential lately. I mean, it's nice to see that WWE uh, knows who they have into this uh, 38-year-old uh, blue chipper. You, you do know that Akira Tozawa's career could legally vote today. Well, it's, you know... He spent so much time in the performance center. He finally learned how to fucking work. 
I, I, it's nice to see. You, you, you know, it, it is glad to. I, well, it's I'm, another. It's another success story. It's it, look. That building has been around ten years, and they have pumped out names like Ricochet and Shinsuke Nakamura and Akira Tozawa and Kevin Steen and Kenta. They have taught these guys how to work, and it is really nice to see Tozawa join that list. You, you know, I. I have to say that Alpha Academy has really brought it together. I mean, he he just needed the uh, Greco-Roman uh, style to get there. But is I, that I, is that what he's doing? Is he it, what's Alpha Academy? Isn't that the tag team, buddy? If it's not just like weird, obscure NXT things, I don't know what's happening. I think there. he's teaming with Otis. I don't know the yeah, woman I, I, that he's with. I think with. he is he's teaming with, some, with Otis. I don't know who that is. Is he? he is that Chelsea Green? Uh, no, that I believe is Maxine Dupree, Max Dupree's fake uh, sister who led uh, Maximum Male Models, I believe. I don't, I don't know, I don't know what you just, I don't know what that is. I, and here's the thing, I'm fairly certain that I'm telling the truth here. And I, I just saw a video of a, a woman walking with a, with a women's title. I don't know if there's a brand split, I don't know if they have tag team women's titles anymore, it was a, a a a woman wrestler walking with an official title. My gun to my head, I have no clue who it was. Again, I think it was maybe Chelsea Green, but I don't even know if she works there. I I, I don't I don't know who anybody on the roster is. Everyone like I listen to Rich and Joe, they'll review main roster shows and they'll say a name that I've never heard before. Yeah, it, it, it's just one of those things that, and they have so many people under roster. Like, I'll read Cups fans' uh, Lucha blog, and it'll be like, so and so has, like, so and so from NXT has made their crash debut. I'm like, I didn't know this person existed to begin no. with. No, I really liked uh, Alan Forel, friend of the show, did a show with John Pollock about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. And Alan was great in it. Mike, I know you haven't listened to this podcast yet, but uh, the Meltzer John Muse Hall of Fame show, Dave referenced that show and said it was so entertaining that even his girlfriend enjoyed it. Which Alan is, 4L, there we uh, go. Like, uh, so much to unpack there that we don't have time to get into. <laughs> but I loved the comments on the YouTube upload of that Alan podcast because it was a bunch of people going like, Guy doesn't even watch WWE. Like, how is he qualified to talk about this? <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. I feel like Al probably knows what he's talking about. Yeah, but, you yeah. know, okay, whatever. I, I am right now. So I have the All Japan shows from Hokkaido up there. And I think uh, I, I, a giant bear has just entered the ring case in, in this trios match that I also do believe Katsuho's in this. I think Katsu made this thing. Well, yeah, because that's his that's his area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably, he probably Ame. rented them a ring. It might be. There we go. I've been trying to figure out because this is a nicer venue than what everyone else runs up in Sapporo. Them. No, it kind of annoyed me. I wish Dragon Gate would run here. It looked decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is uh, Kumagoro Hokai who is there with it. And, and I'm sorry, it, it does not, Katsuo was not on this show. I'm a little, ah. I, I'm, I'm a little heartbroken about that. Uh, so, uh, it, it, stop avoiding the question, Lo. How about wait, it? Hold on. Jimizu versus Tozawa. Well, no, hold on, wait, get, hold on. What? You said there was a bear. I didn't, I missed part of that. What did you yeah. say? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. There's a bear on this show. Like a shoot bear. It's uh, like a it, Tracy Smothers bear. 
No, 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 it's someone in costume. Uh, I, I'm looking up it on Cage Match, and it's, oh, it's the former Brute Issei. Oh, okay. This sounds like some sideshow wrestling like Ultimo Dragon would book. I'm very confused. I, I, All Japan, I respect what they're doing. I'm watching more and more of it. I am still a semi-main event main event guy. I'm not diving into those undercards yet. Uh, uh, okay, so under this character, Brute Issei works with Hakuto Pro, whose champion is katsuo so there we go the we, boom got we it. figured it out here uh but let's get back to it stop avoiding the question tozawa versus shimizu most on biggest undecorated champion go it's i think it's shimizu and that's you know that's no disrespect to tozawa obviously but you know tozawa matters from 2011 through 2016 he has the Mochi Dreamgate challenge. He has two Shima Dreamgate challenges. Hulk. And then he that the the Hulk matches his last Dreamgate challenge, right? That's 2014. No, he has one against Yamato at that dangerous gate. Oh, that completely yeah, yeah. side rails Yamato's ace run. Okay, yeah. So that's that's a minus in Tozawa just because we had to deal with the Yamato run after that. Uh yeah, he's got five years. You know, I think he was I think he was very accomplished, but I I kind of think Shimizu has done more. I mean, we're we're at a decade of Shimizu really mattering and being a guy in the mix and being a guy that, you know, has done a lot of different things, has had a lot of success. He was able to rebound, you know, from being completely torn down and turned into a comedy character. This rise back to the top of the card, I think, has been super impressive. I think Tozawa has had a better in-ring career than Shimizu, but I think Shimizu's the more decorated wrestler at this point. I guess the thing I'd really push back on is uh, Tozawa's had so many more bigger main event matches, and if you're saying like 2011 to 2016 Tozawa, but you're also saying 10 years of Shimizu, we kind of have to carve up that Shimizu time. Like, when you say 2013, he was a rookie, and I think that that five-year period, Tozawa was a main event threat throughout the entire time. Yeah, so. that's that's gonna be fair. I mean, let me let me think. So Tozawa has one Brave Gate run. He has, I'm assuming, a Twin Gate run with Hulk. Right? They they win the titles. Yeah, it's Hulk and Akira, and then it's Shingo and Akira are the Twin Gate run. Yeah, only only two Twin Gate runs, and then I don't remember what he did as Triangle Gate champion. He's had a couple of those runs that did. I'll say this about. Uh, I, I'll say this for Shimizu. Shimizu is much more memorable in the Twin and Triangle Gate teams, even though Shingo and Akira is a longer and more decorated Twin Gate team that I think gets credit. That's one that kind of gets uh, forgotten. I feel like. Yeah. Okay. So Tozawa's two Triangle Gate runs. He has a sixty-three day reign with Hulk and Fake Naoki Tanazaki. I remember nothing of this. I, I don't. None of these matches stick out to me. They lose the Triangle Gate belts to Gamma, Hubbo, and Magnitude Kishiwada in 2012, which that sounds fake when I say it out loud. And then, yeah, he's got, of course, he's got the longest Triangle Gate run ever, which is not that great of a Triangle Gate run. Uh, so, I, you know, that's a great question. That he He wasn't the guy that I thought of, but... They're probably neck and neck right now. And if this is the last relevant thing Shimizu ever does, then sure, we can give Tozawa the edge. If Shimizu is able to continue 
this presence near the top of the card, I think a year from now, Shimizu might have the edge on him. Yeah, like that's the thing about the overall generation kind of play that they're doing with someone like Shimizu. Like, I don't think either of us can think of other than, and we have no indication to believe this, other than him, be- him being on the way out of the company, there's no reason for us to believe that he is shuffling down in such a way that like Susumu last year, that was clear that that was kind of, we were getting to an end of a generation there. Mochi might get another Dreamgate shot, but that's just kind of will be like, oh, neat. Mochi gets one at 60. Like that's kind of what will be there. But I think Shimizu will surpass Sazawa kind of as a thing. And I think we'll be in relatively short order because I think that I think we've seen like through this that, that there is that there's definitely more uh, reason to go back to this than they had six months ago. And Shimizu showed a way to kind of headline and be kind of the major focal point for a long period of time that I don't think that that was a likely possibility for him this time, two years. No, I mean, two years ago, he was what coming off the end of team Boku stuff. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. It's amazing what he's been able to do. Final question for you that I have in relation to this Dreamgate match is, you know, we're sitting here two and a half weeks away from Thanksgiving, which startled me when I thought about that today. So we're approaching the end of the year. This felt like, and again, we've all had a lot to say about Kakuta and the ups and downs he's had this year. But as I pointed out in the Voices of Wrestling Discord, I have 21, including this match, 21 Kakuta matches at four stars or higher this year. And Shimizu obviously has the singles resume that he has. This felt like watching the two best wrestlers in Dragon Gate this year having a big time singles main event, and it was super satisfying. Do you push back on that claim at all? No, because this was after Dead or Alive. If we look at how the Dreamgate has kind of been treated, and a lot of that was because Skywalker was champion to get us to that to, to finish that story. Like I feel like we can say and it was a smart run to do and him as a heel champion. There was there's still a lot of gas left in that tank. But we we look at what we would consider like the major kind of matches and singles matches in this promotion this year. I think this was the most well built thing they've done all year outside of the outside of Kakuda winning the title. Oh so, god, yeah. Oh absolutely I mean absolutely. You know, that is uh, a credit to to the Booker, who I I don't always see eye to eye with in terms of the big stuff, but I think they nailed Kakuta's Dreamgate win, and I think they nailed this story. Those were two long term stories that I think they told well and successfully capped off. So, a uh, a credit to the Dreamgate Bookers there. Yeah, but it, it, I guess the thing that I would ask you, Case, like, are we is Madoka Kakuta when we like take his entire year and we look at it and is he like a backdoor has he reopened that backdoor to a third place flare flare that's because i can't rationally say him over uh will osprey or mystico but i feel like at least ring work wise this kind of got him back on the right path i uh I, i'm probably not Probably not. I'd probably give the edge to like a Miyahara or I, I'm so curious to see like I don't know what the All Japan schedule is the rest of the year, but if Nakajima pops another house for All Japan, I, I could see myself 
maybe uh, siding with him for a third place because you got to remember he and Miyahara sold out Corkin. They did. That's uh, right. Know, yeah. One, one of the biggest uh, Corkin shows uh, post pandemic and they sold that out months in advance. I thought it was so odd. Noah capped it at 1500 and it was like sell another 300 tickets, like sell this building out proper. And they, they just didn't do it. So I, I would probably lean him. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know who else to turn to. I mean, maybe Mox, but that doesn't excite me. You know, it's certainly not MJF. I wish Danielson would stay healthy. You know, I, I would, I would certainly just because he's a, uh, a main event guy, I would like to pontificate on him, but he's just, he's hurt again. So I can't do it. So I, I, I don't, I don't think Akuta's there. You know, if this show, if this show did 3,200 fans, all right, we can have that conversation because the business they do in Tokyo, the business they do in the smaller Osaka building, the business they do in Hokkaido compared to the rest of the country, the business they do in Nagoya compared to the rest of the country. All right. Now we're talking now, you know, that's an interesting conversation, but I think between the dangerous gate number and this number and the disappointing Dreamgate matches that led to this, I, I just, I have a hard time rewarding Kakuta for that for Flair Thez. I think he's a top 10 wrestler in the world this year. You know, my fighting spirit 50, he'll be in the top 10. I think Shimizu will probably be there as well, but I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around him for Flair Thez at this point. Well, you might not be able to get past that for him and Flair Thez, but with this semi-main event, open the Twin Gate Championship, maybe you get beyond it for Susumu Mochizuki and Azushi Kanda their tag team run as the Open the Twin Gate champion and perhaps their tag team of the year uh, contendership comes to a close with the end of this match as Dragon Daya gets the win on Yazushi Kanda, 21 minutes, 29 seconds with the Reptilian. M3K fail in their fourth defense. D-Courage become the 64th champion team. Everyone in D-Courage at this time is bathed in gold coming out of Osaka this weekend. So I'll start off by saying we'll have to circle back to this match at one point because I have a a big picture take that revolves around this match, but it also pertains to something else, another M3K thing. So we'll we'll circle back to that. The match was great. Decourage. I, I'm intrigued to see what they do as a team. As a fan, I am so genuinely bummed that M3K lost. I loved their reign. I loved what they were doing, and I felt like they had more to do. And while I get the implication, the desire to put the belts back on D-Courage, you have to remember, last time these guys were Twin Gate champions, they lost the belts on a show that had Nozawa, Okuda, and Ashida on it. And that was only 18 months ago. Feels like a lifetime ago. There's a brand new Dragon Gate on the table with Daya and Yoshioka as champions, but I am going to miss Kanda and Susumu holding these belts. Yeah, if I'm going to go back in five years when we're talking in 2028 case and we're doing the show, and if someone asks us about 2023, the first thing that's going to really go to my head is going to remember, man, Susumu and Kanda had like an insane 2023, and Yazushi Kanda had like the best single year of his career and is the person that I think about when I think about wrestling in 2023. And that's a bummer, but I, I, I would like to offer you this case. I still think we can get to the Mochizukis versus Asumu and Kanda without the Twin Gate belts. There's still a way there. So I, I, I don't know if we still 
uh, if we've lost that match out of this. But you're absolutely right about D Courage right now, especially if like Yoshioka, I kind of felt like needed that time period away from kind of the, e- even though I'm talking about someone who was the Kobe World main event, he, I, I would not say that he has been like ever present in a way that like Madoka Kakuda has been. Shun Skywalker is when he's around. We kind of got like the last nine months, kind of a little bit of a break of the Yuki show in, in a lot of ways. And, and that makes me real interested in seeing what him as a twin gate wrestler now is. And I think it's going to be a kind of fun thing to see the, this kind of team play out, especially now I, I, I I've been trying to hold off on this one until we got to the brave gate match, but it looks like we're finally getting more members into D courage. Like, what does the original decourage tandem look like when you have a fully fledged unit behind them now? Like I, I'm intrigued by a lot of ways they can go about this now. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Ryoya Tanaka is teaming with decourage on the upcoming Corkin show, and it certainly seems like there's movement there, which I think you and I would both support. Yoshioka's had an odd year. You know, comes into the year as Dreamgate champion, loses the belt in January. I still have 19 yoshioka matches at four stars or higher he's my number two in the company this year behind kakuta it's kakuta yoshioka and then there's a gap to like shun and then shimizu and maybe you know ben or somebody i don't know but uh he's been he's been quietly very very good this year because he lost the dreamgate belt and then in ray day parejas they were building kakuta up so yoshioka was taking all the falls and then in the back half of this year there have been so many good trios matches with him in it it was nice to see him really make his presence felt in this match. I, I, I thought Daya was very good. I love Daya's new gear, but this was a Yoshioka match, and he and Susumu in particular uh, were, were were rather brilliant here. So I, I went four and a quarter on this. I really enjoyed it. I was even with the main event on this. I don't know which one, gun to the head, I liked more. I was four I, and a half. I, I, I think that's a common sentiment. I, I really liked this match, but I think people liked it more than I did. I, I might have been lower on it than most. I've really enjoyed the fact that at least a little bit of this match did play off of what happened in Kobe the night before with the individual singles matches. Susumu basically spent the match working a, a part uh, and trying to go after Daya's knee. Daya is barely able to escape with the double cork in that match. But his knee, he walks into this match pretty wounded. And on the same w- line, Yoshioka loses in three minutes in Kobe to Candy Magic. They immediately come out of the gates and play off that stuff. And I feel like that might be the, w- the reason why it's a little bit over the line for me than the main event. Just because it played off of the stuff from the night before a little bit. Well, it was, you know, it was a textbook Susumu match because the work that he did on Daya's legs was not only, you know, the textbook, you know, limb work that you should be doing in a wrestling match, but it was entertaining. You know, it was great. The avalanche knee buster off the middle rope. That's a move that I I will pop for that 100% of the time. And that was, to me, that was the highlight of the match because he hits that move. He goes for a figure four. Yoshioka goes to break him up, break it up. Susumu fights him off. And then Yoshioka goes to the top rope and he breaks up the figure four with a frog splash. It was excellent stuff. That was fantastic. And it came down to Yazushi Kanda at the end. He goes up for the El Capuco Tornado one last time. It won him the belts. Comes up short, 
reptilian. It just it paid off what I feel like was one of the more fun under the radar things that's been happening over wrestling this year. I think you take the Rey de Parejas finals between uh, three out of the four of these guys here uh, were in that match, and you you go all the way across the year, and you, you're very quickly getting to comp tape territory with the kind of year that Susumu and Kanda had just in the auspices of this tag team. Loved them. Again, career year for Yasushi Kanda, something that you know neither you or I expected. They blew us away in Rey de Parejas, they were great. I mean, the Conda performance, and I, I, I've said this a bunch now, but the Conda performance in the match that they won the belts in against Kano and Kondo is probably my single favorite performance of any wrestler in any match this year. I mean, maybe maybe some of the stuff Osprey's done, maybe maybe what Stuka Jr. did in his match versus Mystico all the way back in January, but like the Conda stuff was kind of as good as it got. And you know, you got the Tanaka and Sugawara match, and then you have this, and they were just they were so enjoyable throughout the year. Uh, the, the Discord pointed out last week, you know, we we neglected to mention the Astronauts as one of the tag teams of the year. I guess they've had a great year. I I have not seen hardly any of their stuff. I have to binge watch that before the end of the year. But I feel very comfortable leaving this match as saying, at worst, Kanda and Susumu are one of the three best tag teams on Earth this year. No, they deserve to be on the ballot. Uh, I've watched. Not astronaut stuff. I've watched a lot of Abe just because Abe appears a lot in Glate, and I'm enough of a sicko now that I would just put on the like, the, like him showing up there. He's the great. He, I, I, I love those guys. I just, I'm just not watching what they're doing. Yeah, no, and it's something that that I need to go and look up myself and double back and to see, especially there. But, but it, it, I wonder how much of it is like they have like the great singles match on that show, and that is coloring. I know astronauts been a tag team for years. Like honestly, how they might be the longest tenured indie tag team at this point. It's them or Speed of Sounds, I would say. Yeah, and I don't, I God, I don't even know if Speed of Sounds are really teaming that much anymore. I, they I'm are so, in Gambare Pro. I'm so disconnected from that world right now. I have no idea. I don't even know where to watch Big Japan. I mean, I, I know I can find it somewhere, but I don't. I, if there's astronauts matches, I have to watch, and I don't really know where to start. But I, I, I get the impression from the way that people talk about them that astronauts have had a very, very good career, and this is a career year for them. Yeah, so it it, it it feels fun, though, that there actually is, like, a tag team discussion, because I feel like most years there isn't. and that, no, that... It's, it's the first time in forever that it just hasn't, for me, been, you know, Young Bucks and whoever else, because I, you know, I don't, like, it, the Bucks have had a few great matches this year. I still might vote the Bucks and Omega versus Death Triangle TLC match from January. That might be a top 10 match for me this year, but the Bucks, you know, it's not... It's not a Young Bucks year. It's not an FTR year. Just a very, very odd year in tag team wrestling. Yeah, and I think anyone who votes for those two teams kind of shows that they haven't done their homework. No, the FTR thing was crazy. I mean, we talked about this on the yeah. show because there was they, they did the two matches with Bullet Club and everybody was like, oh, FTR tag team of the year. It's like they worked like they worked like six matches. I, they're never on TV. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah i don't i don't get what am i missing especially if you want to factor in like some of the m3k trios matches and the four ways it's just like god i don't what, what am i missing here they they worked some low level tv matches and then they had two really good matches on collision one you know i i thought the first match might have been better than the second one actually but you know nevertheless it's just like what wait what are we doing here guys 
yeah no it, it, it's one of those things that i feel like we're all gonna well I, I i feel like there needs to be like and i know someone who does like a twitter account like we need to have like a wrestle wipe this year to talk about like just everyone's brain probably needs a reset i feel like that's that's a very fair point that's good analysis yeah yeah uh I kind of want to reset after this match case okay? so, uh, going down the card, the third title match on the show, the open triangle gate championships, Yamato dragon kid and punch. Tomonaga make their second successful defense. They defend against the uh, accused captors team of Don Fuji, Takashi Yoshida and the bodyguard uh, punch clutch on Don Fuji, 14 minutes and three seconds. And Hey, if you are a listener and you know how we feel about these teams. Let me tell you this. This was the, exactly what you imagine a 14-minute match between these six guys would be. I kind of thought this was good. Really? Am I, am I wrong? For, I kind of thought, my, like, my written review, I gave this match three, I gave this match three and a half stars. Man, I, I, I was two and three quarters and i thought like i was being charitable oh my god i like i thought this match was kind of good and it didn't start good but it ended great in my favorite live report that i got and i will read this dm verbatim this is somebody that was at the show this is somebody that attends a fair amount of dragon gate shows and i got a dm it said quote live report Woman in front of me had tears in her eyes after Punch got the pin. End quote. It can't be a bad match when Punch brings a woman to tears. I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, objectively, this was one of the most over things on the show. Like, objectively, Punch getting the win. Punch uh, dangling from the balcony at Edeon Arena, Saka, much further than I than even I would have guessed. Yeah, he would I really, have done. I really thought he was going down. I, I mean, I, 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 I thought that he was going to do like the drape himself over and then collapse thing, you know? Like, yeah, I thought, no, he he just he was he was hanging for his life, and I, you know, like the match leading up to that point was nothing. No, but from was, the balcony spot onwards, I was super into it. I thought Fuji Yamato was great. I thought everything Dragon Kid was doing was great. The finish popped me again. I, I, I have I have no beef with this match. Now, am I ready for the, the Triangle Gate team to lose the titles? Yes. I'm I'm done with them now. They've they've played their part. But yeah. no no issue with this match whatsoever. Yeah, but it, it it's just a thing that like it was fifteen minutes and it, you uh I, I it's hard to express how like slow it was until the balcony spot. Like that's the thing is like the balcony spot might have been eight minutes into the map. I'd like to know if I'm out to lunch here. Yeah, I, I, I haven't I, seen anybody talk about this, and that's fine. Maybe, maybe it just caught me in the right mood. I was kind of cheery when I watched it, but uh, I, I was, I, I was very delightfully surprised by how much enjoyment I got out of this. You, you know what I think kind of got me about this was this match basically was made for me to have like Don Fuji in the match nonstop. And there was enough things happening in the match that took focus away from Don Fuji. Mm. And I could see that, you, you know, that's just a slight I'm going to have to live with uh, the 10 man tag match. We had on the program, natural vibes, everyone, but Shimizu as he was in the main event, KZ strong machine, J Jason Lee, UT Jackie, funky Kamei. They went up against our favorite five unaffiliated fellas, 
Ultimo Dragon, Luis Monte, Naruki Doi, Shuji Kondo, and Eita, who, uh, uh, again, a live note, sickingly over in the oh. building, like disgustingly over Eita with a new t-shirt, at least for Dragon Gate audiences. Uh, or, w- what do y'all expect? Luis Monte gets the win. This time, it's not Kamei eating the fall. It's usually Kamei eating the fall in these Monte matches leading up to this. This time, it's UT with the Vuelta finale in just over 10 I sent some very influential members of the wrestling media kind of everything they missed from the last month. And I sent the uh, the house show tag with Monte and Yamato versus Jackie and Strong Machine J. And then that eight man from the Fukuoka show that we liked so much. I sent both those matches over because I said this match was fine, but this match didn't do a good job of kind of painting the picture of who Luis Monte is right now. If you're going to parachute into the show, you need to parachute backwards and watch those matches because this was fine, but we've seen better Mon- uh, Monte matches since he came back. Yeah, this was uh, really more interesting for this because we got to see Monte get to work with Big Match Jack. I mean, you knew like the like when, when we previewed this match, like your eyes immediately go to that, and we got a bunch of that. Uh, Ultimo busted out like a wacky do submission. Like it was like a like double arm breaker cross arm a uh, crucifix thing that uh that was new from ultimo he must have been in a mood on that night did you catch the ultimo scoop that we got on commentary oh was this the thing about uh, uh monte's name yes so for those that that might have missed it or didn't watch english commentary jay pointed out that the plan win lose or draw after the cage match was that Diamante would still go by the name Diamante because that was his family's name. And Ultimo, both after the cage match and then in Cork and a few days later, led the crowd in a Luis chant. And so they had to come to a happy medium of calling him Luis Monte. This is now the second time in two years that he has gone rogue with a live mic and has changed the name of a wrestler. It was supposed to be Ryoto Mochizuki. It is now Mochizuki Jr. It was supposed to stay Diamante. It is now Luis Monte. Yeah, I mean, what else is there to say? (laughs) I I remember this. I'm going to tell a a tale out of school here, but I think enough time has passed where I can tell it. AAW, many, many years ago, brought in Teddy Hart, and this was, you know... This was before we knew some things, so I was more into it than I am now. And uh, Teddy worked a show, and friend of the show, Dr. Keith Lipinski, had to guard the microphones with his life because they were so afraid that Teddy would wrestle a match and then cut a post-match promo, and they obviously would have no idea what Teddy was going to say, and they made it very clear to Teddy do not cut a promo. And so you could just see Keith just like full, like lined up like a linebacker in front of the table where the microphone is making sure Teddy Hart doesn't get to this microphone. GM Rio Saito has to start doing this with Ultimo. It's the same policy going forward. Yeah. I mean, we are lucky that Mochizuki Jr. is such a presence that like he can be Mochizuki Jr. That's fine nicknaming him junior and calling him junior is actually kind of cool it kind of mm-hmm. works for him like it's worked out for him in the in the long road maybe that was the right idea Luis monte 
it, it, I, I mean, Diamante, like, like, it, you gotta keep the microphone away from him at least when you're naming people. Like, yeah, it's it's Luis Monte's fine. I like it actually because it has a little more flair to it. But Altimo's two for two. I don't think he'd go two for three. That's the yeah. problem. Like the luck is gonna run out at some point. We can't let him keep doing this. At least we know that uh, we're not going to get someone get their name adapted to some form of Shima. You know, no, like, no, no, no. We are not. We are not doing that. Yeah, yeah. We're not having that. Uh, someone who is not having it right now. Case uh, going down the card. Yoshiki Kato as during this six man tag, the Mochizukis and Mochizuki Juniors, uh, ill fated new tag team partner Yoshiki Kato versus Zebrats Shun Kai and Hio. Uh, well, it's two years in a row that Mochizuki Jr. and a young friend has turned on him, has broken his heart in the middle of Eon Arena Osaka. This time, Kato hits him with the Kadere Luna, and then Shun Skywalker gets the one after a moonsault knee drop. This comes off the heels of the two of them and Strong Machine J losing at Frontier Zone. Uh, not really had the time to play up that, but I have to imagine that that's going to be a little bit of going into this here. But it seems like at least by the end of the show, Kato walked out by himself through a neutral corner. But by the end of the show, it seems that Yushiki Kato is the new me newest member of Zebrats. We'll see how this plays into Korkin. Okay. Very rarely am I wrong I was wrong about this. I, well, one, I was wrong because I didn't see the turn coming. But two, I said, you know, if they're going to do the turn, I think it's lame to do the same story two years in a row at the same show. Was totally wrong. This had such tremendous novelty of it happening to Junior again. It was just like, oh, is this collective? Like, oh, my God, no way. Like, there's no way this is happening. This is great. So a credit to Drangate. They saw something there that I did not. I really enjoyed this. I have two different avenues we can go down here. Let's start with Kato. He goes out of a neutral corner, meaning he's not officially in Zebrats. We have a big Corkin show on Thursday. Four-on-one main event, Zebrats versus Luis Monte. Mike, is it fair to predict that Yoshiki Kato has turned heel, but he will not be joining Zebrats? He will be joining the next heel unit, which we will learn more about later this week. So interestingly enough, case this was not uh I've not seen this at least on the Facebook page. It might be on the Dragon Gate English Twitter account. Uh, they have announced the four members of Zebrats in the uh, Cork and Main event. Case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's Shun Hyo Kyanishin, right? Yep, and that does make you raise the. The, this match either will become a five-on-one or you're exactly right. Whatever we see the next evolution of a heel unit, which is likely coming in the next uh, five weeks, is going to have Kato involved with it. Probably of Shun Skywalker involved still as well. If I were a betting man, I would say that the four members of Zebrats are not the four members that will leave belonging to a heel unit. Whether they choose to rebrand or not, I don't know, but... This is where I tie things back into the Twin Gate match. We go full big picture here. M3K losing the belts. This now feels like the end of M3K. I feel like this unit has officially run its course. Not that it needs to die, 
but that it could die. And I was the one last year. Everybody wanted this unit to end last year. Everybody wanted to get to Mochizuki versus Mochizuki. I told everybody, slow down. There's a lot they can do here. And that was before I knew Yasushi Kano was a good wrestler. It's amazing what happens in a year. <laughs> I feel like we're now at a point where M3K can be disbanded. It served its purpose. And Mike, obviously, at the Corkin show, Luis Monte is going to need some help. Because he's going to get beat down four on one. I think Hyo, his days are numbered. I think by the end of that show, we're going to see Hyo and Luis Monte on the same team. And to combat Yoshiki Kato and whatever the new heel unit is, I think we're going to see Mochizuki Jr. take up arms with Luis Monte and Hyo. It's a little bit of fantasy booking and a little bit of logic. I think that's the scenario we're looking at come Thursday. So we have a card for Thursday. Uh, Mochizuki Jr. is not on the card. That's that's right. There's a little bit of confusion as to how hurt he actually is. Right. That is something worth getting into. It is something that in the dying moments of this match, uh, he does a flying kick into the corner. He goes down. He stays on. He stays in the corner, basically, up until the finish where he tries to go for a German suplex onto Hio. Instead, we get the... Uh, modified blood fall and the double moon salt knees there. Very easily can see this being like a okay that way everyone thinks he's hurt and then he comes in the main event for the save. Can very easily be this. We have seen that song played a lot of times before, and and I think that I I can see that happening. I do wonder with this like I I, I do think one way or another in three K is not going to be a going concern by the time they are back in this building second cork of the month next month. Like I just, it just doesn't seem like that, especially if we're looking at, if we're looking at Mochizuki jr on the shelf, then there's no reason really to keep it going at this point at the, like the third time he's on the shelf like this, you kind of have to take care of that. And there still is the idea that you could get Mochizuki's versus Asumu and Kanda in a split. So yeah, yeah, that that match. I mean, look, I, I'm I'm stunned they didn't do that for the Twin Gate belts. It just felt like the the natural conclusion to come to. But it's you know they did it once non-title, and they don't have to do it again. You know they they, they can move on, and I think Junior's at a spot where he can start to move on, and it certainly won't kill his relationship with Father Mochizuki or Susumu and Kanda. I think it now adds a new wrinkle to whatever they do whenever they interact. It's I, but I think it's time that the junior spread his wings a little bit. And I think there's a natural pathway because of the Kato turn, not just because Monte needs partners, but because of that Kato turn, I think we can see that unit start to form with those two guys. And uh, as I've said all along, I expect Hio and Monte to be partners sooner rather than later. Again, for those that don't know, they're very, very close be- uh, behind the scenes. Yeah. Um, worth noting. So they are going to Suzaka outside of, nagano for a dragon dia fifth year anniversary it's the the, it's the closest like big town to his hometown and i'm looking at the gaoi lineup that they have pulled mochizuki jr from the show on uh on wednesday uh by the time you all have heard of it it's that they put ishin in that match with kato there so it's something where we we have these moving parts now and it was something that as soon as louise showed up at the October uh, cork and to set that up here, we knew we were kind of 
heading to this point. And it's kind of important to kind of take stock of where the units are and how, and because I don't think a lot of these units are going to make it out of the shakeup here. at least. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Uh, going back to the uh, gate of destiny show, uh, but, uh, after this or before this, we had the uh, Brave Gate match. Uh, Ishan defending against Roya Tanaka. Ishan makes his first successful defense of this title uh, run. This time with a schoolboy after Roya Tanaka hits him with his with a, a Stardust press. Maybe is a little bit too uh, a loose on the collision there. Ishan's able to roll him through with a schoolboy, and he's able to escape the rookie from the skin of his teeth. And as we mentioned before, uh, Ryoya Tanaka is helped to the back by Yuki Yoshioka and Dragon Daya, looking like that he will be ending up with D-Courage going forward. He's teaming with them on Cork and Hall, and notably was in uh, Madoka Kakuda's corner during the main event, Tanaka. That is right. Mike, off the bat, what do you think of the finish? I love this match. This ruled. Like, the, this is the Ishin I wanted to see. I don't think he loses anything out of this. I think it's something where we come out of this. Tanaka now, essentially in front of his hometown fans, uh, is able to have like a strong first performance where everyone and Osaka is going to come back when like, all right, we want to see him win in this building. Like, I think it worked out for everyone. Yeah, I'm with you. This is uh, much like the main event where I think it was successful for all parties. I think this was the same way. You know, this is sort of the the payoff to all the hype that we've heard about Tanaka over the last few months, you know, this idea that, you know, yes, for Drangate, it obviously sucked losing SB Kento and Takuma, but as we heard from Jay a few months ago, you know, they kind of went, well, Tanaka can do everything Takuma can do, and he's better looking, so we're in good shape there, and and boy, the, the, the smile on that guy, Ryoya Tanaka is a good-looking dude. He is going to be very, very successful in this promotion, as long as he stays healthy. This match was, the, to me, the best Ishin singles match and probably the best Ishin match of the year. And, of course, obviously, easily the best Tanaka match of his career so far. I felt like Ishin was finally, like, in full command of a, of a match in a way that you, we really did not see in his earlier uh, uh, Brave Gate matches, like the Jason title win, I wouldn't say that was the, the case there for him in that this one he it was him in control bullying Tanaka around Tanaka really showing off like he is a very crisp high flyer and it'll be interesting to see how he evolves and kind of differentiates himself from that uh the the thing about Tanaka that I found so fascinating Jay on commentary bringing up the, the fact that he ended up so Tanaka decided basically after uh, before his first day of work in the adult world that that he wanted to try out for wrestling and he was going to give it one shot after college graduation ends up doing training with Billy Ken Kid. That's right. And you kind of see a little bit of that now now that I now that, that thought has gotten in my mind. I'm like, "Yeah, no, I definitely see someone who has that that style of kind of Osaka junior heavyweight flyer." Yeah, oh, completely. No, I mean, he's He's already very polished and he's only going to get better. It's, you know, it's one of those deals where I, I'm excited to see him a year from now and then five and then hopefully 10. You know, I think he has a very, very bright future. And he was, 
I mean, he was flawless in this match. I can't think of a, a spot that Tanaka, you know, didn't hit perfectly or was out of place for, was late for, or missed. I mean, this was this was a pro performance from a guy who debuted at the end of May. Yeah, and it's something from someone that the the company has, and I and I like to bring this up a lot because I think it's important. The company has a lot of stock in this kid, and seeing him really do this and then make that second step, make the first, like he had his rookie stage, now we're starting to see him as a more developed wrestler and getting him already kind of affiliated uh, with D-Courage, or at least at this point, you know, being involved with D-Courage, I think it, it, it's just another seal of confidence for him. I, I completely agree. This was a This was a big win for all parties involved. Yep, and then in the opener, this is who we had left on the show. They opened this this uh, big matchup. Uh, this match is op- is up on YouTube into perpetuity for free. Uh, Kota Minora, Binke, and BB Hulk of Gold Class defeat the unaffiliated team, Ginky Horiguchi, Kagatora, and Problem Dragon. Binke with the Masakari uh, in 4 minutes and 24 seconds gets the win. It's I, I mean, Benke seems to be the one person out of gold class that has an immediate, like, keep him look strong for something kind of uh, situation. And he came out of this looking strong in the opener. Yeah, Ben lost his uh, grandma last week. So uh, shouts out to him for getting through that. I, he was he got pulled from that Kobe right. show, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, he was so. off Kobe and I forget where they were on Saturday, but they but he had the week off up until this this match for his family. Yep, and uh, this was four minutes, and Ben K looked good, and and off to the next. You know, a uh, uh, I I would have opened with Tanaka versus Ishin just for the sake of being able to share that match, but this was you know a whatever opener. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I wish they would go back at least to for, you, you know, for like the Brave Gate or like a lower tag or trios match. Have that open it up title match over a just a get everyone on show, but. That's not the strategy that they're doing at this time. Uh, Case, before we move on to Corkin, I was wondering, did you see the Frontier Zone match? I did not. It, well, no, I did not. I watched the clip on YouTube, which is like half the, or the, the clip on Twitter, which is like half the match, but I did not see the match in full. Yeah, uh, I caught it. Uh, I w- do want to say Walker Stewart came. I, I I was really impressed with him throughout uh, the the New Japan show. I thought he's he he's solid and. Uh, and, and it was basically essentially what I expected there. I just feel like it was worth noting that on the day before the show, Strong Machine J, Mochizuki Jr., and Yoshiki Kato were on the Frontier Zone match against uh, uh, Oleg Boltig, uh, the DKC, and Ryosuke Taguchi in the pre-show of Power Struggle at uh, Ideon Arena Osaka. I, I, I did not see the, the uh, Twitter clip, but... It was about a, a short enough match that you could put it in a YouTube clip, basically. Yeah, yeah. The, the match is like four minutes long, and the Twitter clip was two minutes. And I uh, was once again reminded that I really like Oleg. I, I think that guy has a lot of talent. Yeah, seeing him kind of rare up against uh, Kato was fun a little mm-hmm, bit. Absolutely. Uh, before we get out of here, though, Case, uh, Gate of Evolution there in Cork and Hall this Thursday. We'll be back on Tuesday next week talking all about it. This is... They're in the midst of a interesting kind of uh, November schedule, but this Cork and Hall show, uh, we knew leading up to this that we were getting one on four Luis Monte versus Zebra. It's announced that Shun Skywalker, Kai 
Kyo and Ishan on this show, but I like a lot of this case. Uh, what's your thoughts overall about this Corkin show before we preview it? I'm a big fan. I think there's enough good stuff on here that's going to be entertaining throughout the show. And uh, Mike, if you're ready, why don't you run down uh, just all the matches real quick? Absolutely. We are opening with Daiki Yanagiuchi versus the Open the Triangle Gate champion, Punch Somanaga. Could Daiki and Corkin Hall, his house, get a win here and become the next Open the Brave, Open the, the Triangle Gate title challenger? Maybe. We'll see. Probably not. Uh, Big Boss Shimizu and UT representing Natural Vibes versus Ginky Horiguchi and Takashi Yoshida on uh, the uh, the month of Ginky Horiguchi's 25th anniversary exciting battle in Kunamoto. He's teaming with Takashi Yoshida at Cork and Hall. Uh, we have a a, a, a fun, uh, they're not calling this a 25th anniversary match case, but the vibes will be there. Susumu Mochizuki, Azushi, Kanda, Kanichiro Rai versus Ultimo Dragon, Don Fuji, and Kagatora. Match four, this is a big unaffiliated match with Yamato, Dragon Kid, Shuji Kondo, and Eita going up against Gold Class, Kota Minora, Binke, BB Hulk, and their part-time assistant, Naruki Doi. Masaki Mochizuki is going to get his hands on Yoshiki Kato for what he did in Osaka. Semi-main event, I love this match. Uh, D. Courage and uh, Ryoya Tanaka versus KZ, Strong Machine J, Jason Lee, and Jackie Funky Kamei. And then the main event, Luis Monte versus Shun Skywalker, Kai, Hio, and Ishin. I, I would hope and assume we get a big angle coming out of this main event. I think that's a very entertaining Corkin show. Yeah, I really the only match that I'm kind of a little bit up about is the match two, and that's just because I would like to see a little bit more for UT to do on a Corkin show. The, the, this is a fun one, I think. Yeah, UT feels very phased out right now. Yeah, but hey, uh, Case, if Daiki wins, we have to get ready for this because it could be... It, you might as well get the darts out because that's a doy darts ass triangle gate match we might have. <laughs> absolutely. I, I, I'm just saying we're entering that time of the year, Case. We yeah, are, we are. We are, absolutely. Yeah, we are doing that. Well, Case, I know we were talking about something else that we weren't wanting to talk about tonight. I think we have time for it. Yeah, let's do it real quick. So, Case, uh, I think the floor is you. Is yours. You pose a very interesting late uh lucha rest hall of fame uh question to me that uh, we're, we're going to talk about close out this episode okay so i'm going to ask it in two parts uh as we're recording this we're about a day away from the observer hall of fame ballots being due my ballot is up on twitter for public consumption i sent it in this afternoon uh you can check that out at underscore in your case i voted uh historical for the first time this year as well as modern us and japan and non-wrestler and I, I sent Dave a pretty extensive list of guys that I wanted on the ballot for next year. I, I you know, we talked about Dragon Kid and Masaki Mochizuki. I think they should be on. I think Kenta should be on. I know some people want Kenta Fuji as a tag team. I want Kenta on as a singles so I can factor in that tag team work because I, I think I would vote for him. Uh, and then I also threw in, you know, Grant Hamada I want back on the ballot and I want Gabe Sapolsky on the ballot. I would vote for Gabe Sapolsky in a heartbeat. Uh, but I started thinking about guys that are not on. And I, I will throw you the name first that was on and fell off and has not been thought of ever since. In 2004, the great Sasuke was on the ballot. He got under 10% and has never been on since. And I think Sasuke is one of those guys, I'm not sure I would vote for him, 
but I am very interested in that discussion, especially as now public sentiment seems to go in the other direction. Of course, there are still babies out there that are going to uh, bitch and moan about Yoshiaki Fujiwara not being in the Hall of Fame. And I say that because I just read the PWO thread uh, for the Observer Hall of Fame in 2023, and the amount of fucking babies in that thread complaining about Fujiwara is unreal. But public sentiment seems to be shifting to where, hey, we need some Luchoresu representation in this Hall of Fame, especially when you look at, you know, Minoru Suzuki and Sakuraba and uh, there's one other guy that's on there. I fucking, you know, Maeda, whatever. Uh, there, there's a lot of shoot style guys in there. There's no Luchoresu guys. Maybe we reevaluate Sasuke, uh, 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 great Sasuke. What do you think about his candidacy, uh, first of all? So um, if I was not dealing with various plumbing crises, Case knows I've been working on, I, I outside of the people you're bringing up here, that there are about five people, at least within the Dragon system, I think at least merit a up and down vote that I've been kind of getting together. I'll probably have it together, you know, in the future. But great Sasuke. I think the thing that you really look at for him and is you do have longevity and you have longevity towards the positive betterment of wrestling, especially with the idea of what Michinoku pro did within Japan especially if you're talking about from a regionalism perspective. And that's not getting into uh, four years of being a, a of Michinoku Pro, really five, I would say, five or five or six of Michinoku Pro after FMW being one of the premier indies in Japan and at a time where uh, Michinoku Pro has drawn houses bigger than Dragon Gate ever will. Just because, and a lot of that is because of realities of the wrestling industry, or realities of just entertainment. It's just wrestling is going to become more and more specialized. It's just reality of of the thing. But I mean, you have how many thousands that that they've done for the for the These Days show with him headlining? It's eight thousand. Well, oh yeah, eight to ten. Eight to ten thousand with that, and that's not getting the fact that Michinoku Pro basically started the idea of running outside of Tokyo like and, and being successful at it at a level that there that there always have been and there will be like micro indies throughout Japan but like being able to have like a company in Tohoku Northeast Wrestling basically running that region and coming into Tokyo every once in a while but showing that that path was really possible and and, and I think that the, the the thing that's uh, that will be interesting with him is how much of that you credit him is how much of it you credit Taro Nahashi. Yeah, you know, I don't think people realize Sasuke's the first pr- he's the first promoter, but you know, unless I'm forgetting somebody, he's easily the first successful promoter to run a non Tokyo based promotion. That's insane, you know, and and he set up not. Not in Osaka, you know, not another in another hotbed. He set up in, in Tohoku in northeast Japan and and created this environment that prospered for so many years up until, you know, the Exodus when he and Taka and Kaintai DX left. I I struggle with Sasuke. I don't know if I'd vote for him if he got put back on if I could only look at him as a wrestler. But when I factor in what he did as a businessman, he actually becomes a pretty easy vote for me. I'm much more impressed with 
with Sasuke the promoter than I am Sasuke the wrestler. Yeah, and and not to pick fights when there's not really fights to pick about this. I think Sasuke has as good of an argument as a promoter and as a businessman as Rosio Gawa does other than Rosio Gawa getting lucky and selling his company at the right time. Yeah, I mean, Michinoku Pro has drawn bigger houses than Stardom has, and I yep. think he was a, you know, a better booker and a more successful booker. And also, I mean, when was Stardom acquired? Was that 2020 that Bushi Road bought them? Tail end of 2019. Okay, so I, you know, I, I look at Michinoku Pro, the glory years as ninety three through ninety seven, and then they're actually sneaky good in ninety eight, um, so that's about the same time there. But yeah, I, I think Sasuke is a much more innovative and successful promoter than than Rossi is. So uh, that that is something to keep an eye on if Sasuke gets added back to the ballot. Like I said, he was on in two thousand four, under ten percent was dropped off never to be thought of again. The thing that I threw at Mike last night that I started thinking about. So again, I voted in the historical region this year uh, for, for us and Canada. And I did not end up voting for the Von Eriks, uh, which Dave has listed specifically. Uh, let me, let me pull this up here just to make sure I got it right. He has the Von Eriks listed as Kevin Carey and David. And I don't think he's wrong for listing them that way, but much like uh, uh, Charles, who did uh, audio with Rich and Joe, which was really good. Go listen to it. There's something about that that throws me off that makes me not want to vote for them. Whereas if Dave had just mentioned the Von Eriks, I think I would be way more inclined to vote for them. I started thinking, is there a Lucharesu equivalent to that? And for as much as I want it to be, it's not Crazy Max, it's not the Italian Connection, but it, I do think Kayentai DX would be a very, very interesting Hall of Fame candidacy. I'm not even saying I'd vote for them. I do think they were top stars. I do think they have a drawing record. I do think they were wildly influential. And I do think they had great matches. It's just a matter of how much I weigh that in the grand scheme of things and, you know, who else is on the ballot. But I at least think that's a conversation that should maybe be had. Dave has never, to my knowledge, put on the ballot a five-person unit. But if he was going to do one, I think it would be this one. Yeah, so Case uh, dropped this on me at, uh, t at 10 till 8 last night. And... Ever since you asked me this case, this has been just consumed my brain. Good, and, thank you. Until this morning at seven thirty, I sent this back to case, and I'm going to elaborate and edit on this as I'm talking. Uh, so I spent the nights thinking about this. We're really talking about four years of retreating it as only Kai and Tai Deluxe, and it's my opinion that they matter to a Michinoku Pro. Or as much as Onita matter to FNW. The problem with the case is the weakest member of the group might be the decade's worst induction. Business-wise, I need to get into it, but I think eight or ten man tags were enough of the house set style that it gets their ring work-wise if you're not a caveman about the economy in Japan. And I think that they matter as much as Onita because if you look at Michinoku Pro houses after 131 as 99, and when you really look at it, 
only two members or two groups mattered at its peak and at its relevance and it's uh kai deluxe and then crazy max shoved in basically oh god how can we keep this going long enough and get our own uh uh groups like that going and it, it's fascinating because when you talk about the eight and ten man match, really that is the house match of of Hamada Universal going into Michinoku Pro, and it kind of is for a certain time period. I would say probably through two thousand within Dragon Gate, like before the three way six man became a match. Like it was very much like okay, we're getting all of Crazy Max, and we're going to put up a. Dragon Kid, Magnum Tokyo, uh, Kenichiro Arai, and uh, who is the random person we have around from Mexico this weekend? And they're going up against uh, Crazy Max. It's very similar to how Michinoku Pro was booked up until basically the departure of Kaintai Deluxe. I don't think that's unfair to say. No, like no, I think that's that's incredibly accurate. And, and, and it's something where. Like he extended out, and yes, Menseho would be the absolute worst uh, Hall of Fame induction ever. Like it is something where he is someone that he is getting on on the coattails, the level of I would argue, Chris von Eric's Drew, arguably a little bit. Like it's it's gross to think about, but he did a little bit in Dallas Fort Worth. I don't think Menseho ever drew in his career. No. Like, Love, but it, it, it's a fascinating thing because if you look at and you take the the catalog of eight and ten man matches from about what would you say ninety two or so like that was about the time where like the pieces were coming together for this group but really starting in ninety four you're you're talking about the history of a, of this promotion and you're talking about a style that they came and they took whatever was happening in Lucha Rest at least up until 1993, and we got to see something that was more towards the modern style. It is still very much based around those 8- and 10-man tags, but I think there's a through line that in the most popular wrestling style in the world today that you have to consider at least up and down, kind of tied to luck. I think it's a conversation we can we can go back to and have more of as we go throughout the next year and into next Hall of Fame season and maybe even the year beyond because I, you know, I did not ask them to be put on the ballot. I, I'm a little bit more focused on Hamada right now, but it, it's just something, I you know, that I would like to know from people, you know, both on Sasuke and on Kai and Tai DX. Is this, a, is this are, are these people that you would consider voting for? Because I think they both have very interesting and unexplored cases in a style of wrestling that has largely permeated throughout the wrestling world for two decades now. And yet Ultimo, who is more of the, you know, one of the godfathers of it than an actual doer of the style. He's the only guy that's represented right now. Yeah. I I mean, when your two people are Ultimo and Kazuchika Okada as like, these are the people off the family tree that's not representative of the style that I mean, if you watch any wrestling that's on North American television, it is based in this. Like you can look at a big through line since March 31st, uh, 2006. Well said Mike. And I, uh, I think that's all I got this week. That's all I got. That's for sure. Uh, thanks for everyone for listening to us this week. We'll be back with you next Thursday. It seems like that, uh, 
winds of change are across are coming across Dragon Gate, and we'll be able to make more sense of that after this Thursday Cork and Hall show. But that's going to do it this week for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Cases at underscore in your case, and I'm at Fujiheya. Thanks for listening to Open Voice Gate. We'll be back with you next week. Take care. Hi, my name is Tyler Fornis, and I am the co-host of The Good, The Bad, and The Hunky here on the Voice Wrestling Podcasting Network. Every week, my co-host Fred Moreland and I discuss all the happenings of all elite wrestling and everything going on in the universe of Tony Khan. We talk about Dynamite, we talk about Rampage, and we will talk about Collision when the time comes as well, along with all the appearances outside of AEW from all the best talents in all elite wrestling. This is one of the more cohesive wrestling companies in the entire world, and we discuss every intricacy about it, including the unique booking of Tony Khan that is both a huge positive and a major detriment. Check us out every single Thursday here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network.